politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Banner. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK in Los Angeles. What a show we have for you today. UFOs have been in the news, and I've been paying attention, and I'll bet you have too. These questions about flying objects that we cannot identify, the Pentagon likes to call them UAPs now, since unidentified flying objects brings up images of little green men or greys in a saucer-shaped vehicle from another planet. So they have to come up with another term. So aerial phenomena that is unidentified is a UAP. And I have a guest who is a statistician, a data collector, who is going to tell us that Los Angeles County is the UFO hotspot of the United States. Second is the Phoenix area. And I think you're going to find, well, I know you're going to find this absolutely fascinating because my concern is not spacemen or ancient aliens or people from other planets coming to save us. This is a program, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, about consciousness. And if we're going to do a program every Tuesday at one in the afternoon on consciousness, we're going to have to ask the question, are we alone in the universe? And there's no evidence that this is a sterile universe. The earth, it appears, is teeming with life. Why not elsewhere? And beyond the idea of extraterrestrial visitors, we have to consider the possibility of interdimensional visitors. Most of the universe we now know from hardcore empirical science is dark energy and dark matter. Dark matter is invisible. It does not reflect light. You cannot touch it. It's non-tangible. And yet, because it has gravitational attraction, we know that not only does dark matter exist in the universe, it's the vast majority of what exists in the universe, invisible and unseen. KPFK is at 90.7 on the FM dial, you're going to have to tune the tuner to go up or down the dial and listen to other stations on other frequencies. And so it's quite possible that what we call space and time, the physical universe, is simply one of many frequencies on the dial. But the point is, we, we just don't know. And yet, something's out there. And I've got some evidence for you. I have sound bites that I want to play for you right now. I'm going to begin with the way it sounds when a Navy fighter pilot who has received millions of dollars of training spots a UFO. It sounds like this. There's a thing. thing. It's rotating. My gosh. We're going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Look at that thing, dude. 
I also have a soundbite from Louis Elizondo, who's the former director of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. It's called uh, ATIP, or A-A-T-I-P, or used to be. He's retired, and the name's been changed. It's a uh, unpublicized Pentagon program that was begun in 2007 to keep track of these UFOs, or as the government likes to call them, UAPs. And this fellow was, for a number of years until recently, the head of this program. Listen to what he has to say. This, again, is Luis Elizondo, the top dog at the government's UFO task force. Imagine a technology that can do six to 700 G-forces, that can fly at 13,000 miles an hour, that uh, it can evade radar, and that can fly through air and water and possibly space. And, oh, by the way, has no obvious signs of propulsion, no wings, no control surfaces, and yet still can defy the natural effects of Earth's gravity. That's precisely what we're seeing. The mission of ATIP was quite simple. It was to collect and analyze information involving anomalous uh, aerial vehicles, uh, what I guess in the vernacular you, you call them UFOs. We call them UAPs. The government has already stated for the record that they're real. I'm not telling you that. The United States government is telling you that. I'm not, I'm not telling you that, that it doesn't sound wacky. What I'm telling you is real. The question is, what is it? What are its intentions? What are its capabilities? Going back a little further to November 14th of 2004, the USS Nimitz aircraft carrier was exercising about 100 miles southwest of San Diego when a UFO was encountered. In fact, there were dozens of them over as many days. And this is F-18 Squadron Commander David Fravor, who was sent out in this F-18 fighter jet with a second officer behind him and another jet that was piloted by Lieutenant Alex Dietrich. So there was actually four of them and two jets that were chasing this UFO. Let's listen first to what Fravor has to say about his encounter southwest of San Diego. I'll be honest, I'm not a UFO guy. Oh, there's there's definitely something that, I don't know who's building it, who's got the technology, who's got the brains, but there's there's something out there that was better than our airplane. And why haven't they talked about it till now? Well, you can imagine. Here's what Lieutenant Dietrich says. You know, I think that over beers we've sort of said, hey, man, if I saw this solo, I don't know that I would have come back and said anything because it sounds so crazy when I say it. Well, certainly, if you're the president of the United States, you must have some information about this. It's understandable also that you'd be sworn to secrecy. Let's hear what ex-president George W. Bush had to say about UFOs on Jimmy Kimmel recently. This is a question that I think is very important to me and very important to the country. When you were in office, and I don't know when this happened or if it happened, did you go through the secret files, the UFO documents? Because if I Maybe. was president, that would be the first thing I did. You know, it's funny. My daughters asked the very same question. They did? Yeah. Would you be allowed to tell your daughters what was in those files? Uh, no. You would not? No. Now that you're out of office, you can do anything you want, right? True, yeah. Uh, but I'm not telling you. You're not telling me. <laughs> you're not telling me what? Are you not telling me that you looked at them? I'm not telling you nothing. <laughs> Are there really great secrets that you know that you can't share with people? Yeah. Yeah, there are. 
<laughs> and you would never write about them? No. It, maybe at a time in your life that no. you're like, oh, I'm 90, I'm going to do it. No. No, nothing. What if, you, what if you were to get like a little like loopy, you know? You get old and... Start drinking you again? Start, yeah, start drinking again. <laughs> Guillermo, get some tequila. Yeah. <laughs> and former President Obama was pretty clear that something's going on with UFOs or UAPs, if you wish, when he recently made an appearance on the James Corden show. When it comes to aliens, uh, there's some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. But what, what is true, uh, and I'm, I'm actually being serious here, is, is that uh, there are, uh, there's footage and records of objects in the skies that we don't know exactly what they are. We can't explain uh, how they moved, their trajectory. Now, there's a Pentagon report that's coming out in the next couple of weeks. It was ordered by Congress. I believe the Senate actually demanded it. And it's going to say that it's basically not us, that something is going on in the sky and it's not American technology, but they refuse to suggest who or what it might be. Russia, China, do they have such technology? Little green men from other planets? Is it the greys? Is it the lizard people? Is it interdimensional travelers? Point is, we don't know. All we know is that something is happening and has been happening in the sky all over the world, especially since the detonation of the first nuclear weapons in the mid-1940s. So stay tuned. I'm going to do a very short break, and we'll be back with my guest, Cheryl Costa, co-author with her wife of the definitive UFO desk reference. Stay tuned. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. On KPFK. Hello, dear friends of KPFK. My husband, Blaise Bonpain, and I became supporters and contributors to KPFK in 1969. All of this startling and non-startling historical events that have happened since then, and there were so many, made us constantly go to KPFK so we would be better informed and activated so many times we said we need KPFK more than ever, and we always did rely on them. Today, more than ever, ever, we need KPFK. We all know that, and we all must do everything we can to keep KPFK alive and vital. Blaze would look down on us with his smile as we do so. Thank you, Teresa Bonpain. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Heard on 90.7 FM, KPFK in Los Angeles. In the Santa Barbara area, we're at 98.7 FM. In northern San Diego, 93.7. And up in the high desert, UFO country, <laughs> Ridgecrest, China Lake, we're at 99.5 FM. Live streaming on the internet at kpfk.org. And podcast as the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on all platforms, wherever you get your podcasts. This is one you may want to download and keep for a while. Each of our shows also streams for seven days before being replaced by the following week's program every Tuesday afternoon at theagelesswisdom.com. The T-H-E is part of the URL. So after the W's, it's theagelesswisdom.com. There's a built-in streaming player, but if you click on the 
three vertical dots on the right end of that player, you can download it to your machine and keep it that way. I was looking at a Gallup poll the other day that was taken in 2019, and it seems that the vast majority of Americans believe that this universe is teeming with life. 50% of Americans believe that there are humanoids throughout the universe that look very much like us, and fully 75% of Americans believe life in some form exists across the universe. So the whole idea of visitation, whether extraterrestrial or interdimensional, is something we really have to consider. And we're really fortunate to have with us today an expert in the field, a statistician, a data collector, Cheryl Costa, who, along with her wife, has done remarkable uh, compilations of uh, statistics about sightings. And she's with us today and going to fill us in on what's going on in the sky, what used to be called UFOs, and what the Pentagon now admits is unidentified aerial phenomena. I think <laughs> they don't want to call them UFOs, so they cooked up a different term, unidentified aerial phenomena. And Gerald Costa from Syracuse, welcome to KPFK. Michael, thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. I know that uh, you're going to be doing a, uh, what do we call it, a webinar soon called Contact in the Desert. And that's an event that uh, has a history of being held up in uh, the Joshua Tree area. But due to COVID, you guys are all going to be online. It's an incredible lineup of men and women, 70-some speakers, I think. Yep. And you're going to be part of that. So tell us, first of all, a little bit about this upcoming event, and then I want to find out more about you and UFOs as well. So what's Contact in the Desert? Well, Contact in the Desert is um, a very, very, very large, uh, if you just want to look at it from the UFO context, it's, it's a very large UFO uh, conference, okay? And it's probably the largest in the country. Uh, it, I, I've heard the numbers anywhere between five and 7,000 people attend this thing. That's why they got 70 folks presenting. Um, normally, the presenters, like myself, uh, would do a presentation someplace, uh, what they would call a plenary presentation, um, and, you know, the proverbial PowerPoint slides and talk. And then uh, we would do an additional workshop on some other uh, portion of it and of what we're talking, what we like to talk about. And uh, it's enough to keep people busy. Other places that they've done this, there was, I think they, if there was another place they did this and uh, they had some of the conferences were not in the hotel. They were out in like circus tents outside, you know, outside the, the hotel. So uh, they do quite an interesting job of making nice, cozy amounts of um, what I'm going to call specialty topics have a warm place at the Contact in the Desert event. And uh, I've been looking forward to having be, be tapped by them for years. Well, toward the end of this interview, we'll give uh, uh, more information on how people can find out about that and and get a one-day pass or a, a full pass and get more information on Contact in the Desert. And hopefully next year, we'll have this uh, COVID thing under control and you guys will be able to return to Southern California. You know, the Joshua Tree area is quite a hot spot for UFOs. Yes, it is. Yes, it is very much so. 
Actually, California is a hot spot for UFOs. Well, that's a good entry point to our discussion today. Uh, you sent me a report from your big book, the Pink Book, on California, and we're ranked one out of 51. I presume that's the 50 states in District of Columbia? Yes, yes. And we're number one in terms of sightings? Uh, yep. Uh, that's You know, that that was sort of a problem when we released the previous version of this book back in 2017. Uh, when we were trying to promote it, there was a tendency for people in California to look at, hey, we're number one, rah, rah. And I couldn't get any more press, you know, because um, people just said, well, California's number one, you know. But um, there's there, there's a big story for everybody in the statistics that we did about the United States right down to the state level. Um, and then um, this new book goes deeper. It goes state level, 3,121 county and county entities level. And um, the separate little state books we're going to be producing shortly, one, one book for every state, We'll take it down to the municipal level in the state. So you'll be able to get find out what your hometown's got has had in the last 20 years uh, when we produce those books. They won't be coming out now for a couple of months, but they're going to start trickling out here in a couple of months. And am I correct? According to your data, there's not a single county in any of the states that has zero UFO encounters or sightings? Well, okay. It would seem that way. Um, there are some counties in Texas that are um, pasture land for the most part. Okay. Uh, the county designation is a sort of a placeholder. Okay. Uh, there are about four counties in Georgia that did not report UFOs. Okay. And so, you know, we know there's a few places. In fact, we had to put a little thing in the book. Is if you don't find your county here, no reports of UFOs were made from that county in the last 20 years, okay? Uh, at least not made to a national reporting service. So primarily because there's nobody there to witness the, the phenomena. Well, actually, actually, it's two things. Um, it might be a very scant population uh, county. The other thing is uh, we have a problem where we don't have rural broadband in this country. And we discovered that the, the, the amount of sightings, we'll say, from 1960 up through 2000. Now, we don't report those, but we did a study of them. And there was only about 13,500 over that 40-year period that were reported. But in 2001, the numbers shot up by almost triple. And, in, and it kept ramping up thereafter in the following years. And that, I'm a former I'm a retired IT person, IT specialist, uh, information technology. And uh, that, that is when the proliferation of broadband began happening in major metropolitan areas and their suburbs. And as that proliferation over the first five years of the 20, uh, 21st century, 2001 through about 2005, you can see the sightings ramping up because it made the av availability for people to easily report them to somebody like, like National UFO Reporting Center or the Mutual UFO Network. So the the access to broadband and the Internet has been for the ability to report UFOs has been like the print Gutenberg printing press has been. It, it's that big a deal. Oh, also, remember, remember I said the numbers were starting to come up at 2001? Remember we had 9-11 and we told people, report what you see. And a lot of people who were interested in UFOs started reporting what they saw. You know, so the, the, there's a lot of hand-in-hand -hand issues here. Well, on the flip side of that, 
if California is number one, then it seems Los Angeles has more sightings than anywhere in California, so we're number one in the nation. As a county, yes. Los Angeles County had more sightings than, I wrote the number down here before we started, uh, it has more, oh, I know, it has more sightings than 39 individual states. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. Followed by Maricopa County, essentially Phoenix, Arizona, ha- is number two, and they've got more sightings than 36 individual states. Now, we started studying all of our data back in the 2017 book, and we came up with three drivers. Now, a lot of people would say to you, well, California, they got the 40 million population. No wonder they got more sightings. But Yeah, that was uh, my question. Is it a function of population? Yes and no. It's part. Yes, it is, and no, it's not. Okay, um, in the yes category, uh, you have to have a certain amount of population there. Okay, uh, and then the second issue was temperate weather. If you are in a northern state, we'll say like New York State or Michigan or something like that, there's a quiescent amount of sightings all year long. But when you get around to about May, June, it starts ramping up, and then usually July and August are through the roof. Okay, you move down to in fact. Um, my my wife and colleague on this project noted this when we were working on the first book. I was cranking out charts to her and I wasn't paying attention. She said, did you notice that the middle level latitudes in the United States, that middle, that July, August peak goes down and all the other levels sort of come up? And then we looked at it real careful and you get down to the deep south states, it's statistically flat. And if you're in a really serious deep south, we're talking like southern Texas, deep end of Florida, that type of thing, there's actually a dip in the summertime, and that's because it's too hot to be outside to see these things, you know. So that was the temperate weather. The weather was a driving issue. Uh, the other issue that we noted in our original book in 2017 was leisure time. Uh, we At the time, we couldn't prove it, but we saw evidence based on the anecdotal information in the sighting reports. We were out for we were out watching the stars on my my mother on my mother's car. We were um out walking the dog. We were out for a smoke and walking the dog. In fact dog walkers and smokers are considered the most reliable UFO reporters because they're out there day in, day out. They know the environment around them. So if we account for population and the seasonal variations that you've touched on. Uh-huh. Does that level out the curve? I mean, what are we to presume that the incidence of UFO sightings is pretty consistent and fairly even once you yeah. adjust for these variables? When you, If you were to look at all the charts, like I sent you the California charts there. You saw there was a yearly, a monthly, and an hours of the day thing. Okay, a lot of people assume that the, if these things happen all the time. Well, actually, 65 to 75% of it happens between about 5 o'clock in the evening and about 11.30 at night. Then it falls off rather steeply. And then there's this quiescent amount through the other 16, uh, part of 16 hours of the day. Um, and so th- th- that's what rattles people when they see that all these charts look almost the same, but they were all very different numbers, but they look almost the same. And that shows that I've had people come to me and say, well, there's, uh, there's lots of kooks nuts and crackpots out there reporting this stuff. It's all random. I, well, no, it's not random. There is a higher level pattern to all this stuff and it does level out. Now, in a couple of states like the bottom three or four states, uh, the Dakotas and D.C. and like that, uh, and to some degree Delaware, because what happens is there's so few sightings, it doesn't even off the, the it doesn't even off the curve. 
but the patterns are relatively the same. Now, one more thing we did. Okay, now in the new book, we say population, temperate weather, leisure time, hours of dark. We now put in hours of darkness. We found out that that was a major driver. And then the last element of the major drivers is access to broadband. Then we have a second list of things that are what we call influencers. Okay, now the influencers, not every state has these influencers, but the drivers, everybody has. Okay, the influencers were uh, proximity to large bodies of water. Okay, uh, the oceans, the Gulf, uh, the Great Lakes, that type of thing. Uh, that increases the likelihood of sightings. Yeah, yeah, uh, and show, give you a perspective. Um, if you look at, uh, okay, just on a state level, if you look at, people said to me, well, you know, uh, when they were talking to me about California, well, they got that big population. Well, I looked at Florida and Texas. Florida's number two, Texas is number three. Texas has twice the population of Florida, but Florida has 12,000 uh, 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 12, miles worth of, uh, of um, coastline. Okay, it makes a difference. It has an impact. And all the places that have a lot of coastline have more sightings. Now, I was when I was doing radio uh, as a guest uh, right after the first book came out, I hadn't really looked at certain charts that I had generated. And I had it laying in my lap during a commercial break. And I noticed that the, if the states touched the Great Lakes, the sightings were in the many thousands for the first 15 years of the 20th century. Okay, moved two states away and it fell into the low hundreds. And that's what drove us to start really looking at this bodies of water thing. Another influencer is uh, proximity to toxic ecosystems. A colleague of mine has uh, put a lot of time in studying this. His name is Thomas Conwell. And uh, if you ever want him, I can get him for you. Uh, Thomas started putting pins in the map using our data. And he found out that they seem to be loitering around our dead, our, our dead coal fields, our dead uh, oil fields, our strip mine areas, our polluted lakes, our polluted rivers. Okay. And it was a very pronounced instance of this. And when you talk to people who are experiencers, the people who have been abducted, they come back. We've got records and Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation interviewed some almost 4,000 people. And one of the common themes through the whole thing, oh, by the way, they tell us to take care of our planet. Okay, ET seems to be really interested in telling us to take care of our planet. And a lot of people have been asking me, how come we're hearing the Navy's seeing all these UFOs now? What's now? What's happened? I think we're at that tipping point, and I think ET's going to take uh, take us by the hand and say, uh, now we're here, we're going to help you save your planet. I think well, that's what's going to happen. You know, that's interesting because uh, one of the big lessons of understanding ecology and the impact of global warming is to recognize once again that what appears to be separate is really part of one thing. And so maybe if we're wise, we should recognize that the Earth is not that separate from the solar system. The solar system is not separate from the galaxy. The galaxy is part of a universe. And so if everything touches everything and you've got these... Uh, prehistoric creatures over here on planet Earth that are fouling their own nest. Maybe that is, a, and there's also the uh, the number of sightings around nuclear facilities and test facilities. And Well, okay, let me go there a minute. We gave you the um, bodies of water. We gave you toxic ecosystems. They fault, they're interested in fault lines. And uh, the um, 
the next two things are don't sound very much, but they have an influence. Uh, high visibility media reports seem to generate more UFO sightings. But what we found out that they were is those kinds of sightings. Say, say there's a big flap someplace, okay, and it's reported in local news. In the following days, there will be more UFO sighting reports logged in national things. What it turns out to be the, their retro ones. People say, well, maybe I should report the one I had two months ago. You know, that kind of thing. It tends to be uh, retro reporting rather than generating, a, uh, like some people seem to think, and CIA used to think that it was just uh, everybody wanted to participate, so they called in this kind of a fake report. It doesn't seem to be that. Then the last issue is what we, this last influencer is what we call the generational effect. Los Angeles County and Maricopa County in Arizona, we think have this. They had something remarkable happen. Now, Los Angeles, You've had strange lights in the valleys out there since reported in the papers out there since 1880. You had the Battle of L.A. in February of 1942. Now, we think there's a generational effect where Grandpa and my uh, talked about this stuff and people and same thing with the Phoenix Lights 20 years ago. People said, wow, Grandpa saw this amazing thing back in the day. Maybe if I look up more often, maybe I'll see something. And it tends we think it's that kind of influence. We don't have hard data on it, but we see indications that suggest that. You made a uh, tongue-in-cheek reference to uh, kooks and nuts and uh, Looney Tune people. That's what's thrown at me on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think we've all encountered that and been a little hesitant to, at times, express our own interest in these phenomena. I mean, in both cases, whatever we call it, the first word is unidentified. You know, mm -hmm. to say, I think that's why the Pentagon is now using aerial phenomena because UFO got baggage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Instead of meaning literally an unidentified object that's flying, it got turned into a flying saucer with little green men or grays or whatever on it. Indeed, it's just a flying object that's unidentified, but. Wow, some of what these uh, objects do, and I want to talk about the Navy sightings that really has forced the Pentagon to admit that something very unusual is going on here, uh, G-forces that uh, no human could withstand. Yeah, homogenized human, yeah, you bet. Yeah, <laughs> really, and... Uh, these objects appear to be very, very cold when looked at through, uh, what's the term I want? Thermographic. Uh, oh, oh, oh um, um, infra infrared. Yeah, infrared. They're very cold, so they're not burning fossil fuels. <laughs> no exhaust plumes, nothing like that. But I think, I think we've all seen this video that has been released by the Pentagon. And I want to ask you a little bit more about that because I think that takes the credibility of all of this up a couple of notches, but let's... Can I give you an example of that video? You can, right after my short break. I don't want to get too far behind. Uh, you're listening to KPFK. My guest is Cheryl Costa. She documents with her wife UFO sightings and has an incredible desk reference that you may want to check out on Amazon. We'll talk about that in just a minute and more on the Navy sightings. And I have a story about what caused me to become so interested in UFO phenomena that I'm going to tell on the other side of this break. So stay with us. You're listening to The Ageless Wisdom on KPFK. 
Hi, everybody. This is Nithya Raman here, council member for the 4th District in the city of Los Angeles. I'm here to remind you to wear your mask. I know it's annoying. We've been doing this for months. But Southern California is still in a very dire situation. So let's make sure we're doing everything we can to stay safe, to protect ourselves, and to protect each other from COVID, even as we're waiting for the vaccine to get out to everybody who needs it. So remember, mask up. Thanks. Welcome back. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School, heard every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock on 90.7 KPFK in Los Angeles and live streaming for the world at kpfk.org. My guest, Cheryl Costa, and I are talking about UFOs and an upcoming event that is uh, streaming a kind of a webinar with 70 people called Contact in the Desert. We're going to tell you more about that in a few minutes. But I interrupted you. You were about to add something about uh, the amount of data that you have to eliminate right off the top. Well, we actually don't eliminate it. We count everything, okay? But when we start having to give reports and things, we sometimes throttle it back a a bit because people say, oh, you need to take a certain amount out. Too many notes, as the the metaphor from Amadeus says. what we've done is uh, I used to use it do a chalk talk and say, what if I took 70% right off the top and just kept 30%? Does that make you feel comfortable? And most people settle right down and say, yeah, that's, that's more like it. Yeah. We, oh, 30% might be believable. Well, when you run the numbers, uh, it comes down. If it, see 30% of our bigger number, there is about 53,000. When you divide it by 12 years, gives you a number when you divide that by 12 months, uh, so many months um, for the year, um, it comes down to about 224 exotic craft every month for the past 20 years. That's 240 months. That basically amounts to if you divide it by 50 states, provided the 50 states are equal and they are not, but if you divided it by 50 states, every single state for the last 20 years has had four exotic events a month or one a week. Now let's take that to Los Angeles County. Los Angeles County had 4,330 over the 20 years. Okay. 20% of that was 1299, basically 1300. That gave us 65 per year for the, for the 20 years divided by 12 gives us 5.4 exotics uh, per month or Basically, 1.4 exotic events every month, every week for the, in, in Los Angeles County for the past 20 years. Something special. That's just remarkable. If you throw it at California, California averages about, um, give me a moment. California has approximately 87, 88 a month. And base and we figured out that California probably and daily they have about thirty sightings a day as a state. Remember the number one state; they have lots of them. Thirty sightings a day, and six of those per day are probably the real thing. I said that uh, I had a short little story to tell about why and how I got so interested in this, and uh, it has to do with an interview that I did. Here in Los Angeles on ABC Radio, I was on the FM side of ABC KLOS through uh, most of the 80s, a little over 10 years I was there. 
And in the early 1980s, I interviewed J. Allen Heine. Now, some of our older listeners uh, will probably remember that Dr. Heinick was the head of Operation Blue Book, which was the Air Force program to study UFOs, uh, soon after, started soon after Roswell, I think. And um, supposedly it was a legitimate study, but it seemed to a lot of us like it was more about covering up and finding uh, cover stories for UFO sightings. Heineck admitted in the interview I did with him that he was the fellow that came up with the ludicrous swamp gas explanation for a famous sighting in the, uh, I think it was the late 60s, and was all attributed to methane (laughs) and luminescent swamp gas and. It was parodied even by the straight media at the time, cartoons in the New Yorker and such. Well, I asked him about that. He admitted it. Yeah, he said that was me and pretty much admitted that he was a skeptic. He was a scientist, you know, Ph.D. in science, hired by the Air Force. But at the time of the interview in the early 80s, Project Blue Book had closed and he was no longer working for the U.S. government. And he had become a believer He was certainly open-minded, and it was so impressive to me, Cheryl, because after we finished a one-hour interview on the radio, he stuck around for another hour, maybe 90 minutes, talking to someone who followed me on the radio and was doing a music show, and he sat in the studio while she played records and off mic talked about her personal encounter with a UFO in the San Gabriel Valley when she was a a young woman in her 20s and how there was this great mothership that hovered over their backyard and these smaller little drone ships that came down out of it. And he was vigorously taking notes and he was so into this and his questions were so focused and detailed and I thought, this eminent scientist who spent much of his life covering up UFOs is now completely devoted to finding the truth and uncovering it. And that persuaded me, that and the fact that the research I've done on life forms on this planet, there is no mine so deep that we don't find microbes in it. There is no mountain so high or... uh, frigid polar regions so cold that we don't find microorganisms there. Even floating in the stratosphere 100 miles above Earth, life forms, colonies of life everywhere. So why not deep space? And we look at like the likelihood that mushroom spores could survive deep space and seed the planets. And I think we're all aware of the consciousness-raising impact of psilocybin mushrooms on human beings. I mean, that that can account for some of the quantum leaps uh, (laughs) as our ancestors stumble on these beautiful mushrooms and uh, suddenly get some pretty good ideas about, you know, all this hunting, gathering stuff. Maybe we should just settle down and start a little farm. And, uh, you know, there's so much here. It's it, It becomes not only plausible to believe that life exists elsewhere, 
but increasingly ridiculous to believe that we live in a sterile universe. Where is the evidence the universe is sterile? That's my question to you. I can't find any. Uh, I mean, when I was growing up, they told us that we, the astronomers told us with authority that we were the only planet that they knew of that had any kind of life or could support life. Now we're finding exoplanets out there on the average of about five or ten a week that are in the habitable zone and very possibly could have life of some form, you know. So, I mean, it, it's a big universe out there in I lived in a Buddhist monastery for seven years, and uh, one of the consciousness-raising aspects that that uh, in my training was to plug into the fact that be open to the idea that the universe was teeming with life. And if you meditate on it long enough and connect to the greater consciousness long enough, you realize the meditation uh, that the universe is teeming with life, and it seems to be more connected than we are to it. We separate the concept of life from the material universe of rocks and gases. And who's to say that life, on the other hand, doesn't embrace all that is material and go beyond? Life is not matter that's animated. Life is whatever animates the matter. Yeah, yeah. it seems. You don't have an argument from me. Uh, I've worked an awful lot with experiencers that used to be called the abductees. And a long time ago, uh, back when I first started being a journalist, I did uh, a seven-year column, newspaper column every week about UFOs and the related stuff. And my man, my man, my editor and I agreed, one, we would now out, not out anybody because we wanted to protect identity because the stigma with this stuff was terrible. And the other aspect was... Uh, we wanted to treat this topic matter with respect. So when I reported UFO sightings, I talked about it just like the fire down the street and the the, the robbery next door. And uh, I, it was just matter of fact, regular reporting. We treated it with a great deal of respect, like it's a regular thing. And I got to meet a lot of experiencers over the time. And at conventions, you know, I, I used to believe some of those late night UFO programs. Oh, I got probed. It was terrible. You know, and and. Something didn't sit right. So when I was at this one convention, press wasn't allowed. But I, after the second year, I went to the psychologist who acted like a moderator for this event. And in this, the the convention stuff got going at about nine o'clock in the morning. But this group of people met at seven o'clock in the morning, kind of like an AA group for <laughs> experiencers. And I, I, I asked the therapist. I said, "Look, I just want to come and learn. I'll leave my credentials upstairs. Why don't I just? Can I just come sit and listen? I want to learn. I won't out anybody." She said, "Okay, fine." So Linda and I went down there. Linda is my spouse, and she's got the science degree. It's not me. I got an arts and entertainment, you know, broadcasting type degree. And uh, so we went in there, and I expected to meet twenty five or thirty people crying in their coffee. Oh, I got probed. The aliens are terrible. No, we get in there and the meeting's got 175 people in it and it's got all the energy of a tent revival. You know, I'm going, whoa, I did not come expect to come in here and find a spiritually based conversation about E.T. It was amazing. Very eye-opening. Well, I think the work Von Daniken has done to connect UFOs to sky gods is groundbreaking just in terms of the well what you call the paradigm shift before just changing the way we look at things i sometimes believe that 
our fascination as human beings with superheroes and zombies in many ways reflects the two parts of us. That our animal side accounts for our fascination with the walking dead and the zombies and the werewolves and the monsters. That's the animal side of us, that the shadow that's capable of horrific things. But then, as Jung and so many other uh, psychoanalysts have said, we have a spiritual side. We have a uh, you know side of of love and light. There are we have superpowers, and our desire for gods to come and save us to return, or again to use von Daniken's uh, ideas, the the space people to come and save us, and. You know, then you bring on board all this ancient alien stuff about these monuments on Earth that have been, uh, you know, 10,000, 12,000 years older than the pyramids of Giza that we could not build today. They seem to be laser cut and 50-ton blocks of stone that quarried 20 miles away and moved over mountains. And it's just no wonder we would hope that someone from the sky would come and save us. And I think that's us. I think the demons, the evil in the world is a potential that we have. And I think all the goodness and the love and the light and the glory and the joy and the wonder of life is in us as well. This may be sort of an awkward way to present you with the idea that I'm wondering how you feel, Cheryl, about the idea that these sightings don't represent anything extraterrestrial so much as the fact that they may be interdimensional. Oh, baby, yes. <laughs> um, you know, I hear a lot of people, particularly scientists over the years, and a lot of my a lot of editors I've worked for, well, they just can't get here from there. You know, the vast dis- distances. But, you know, I point out that it took Columbus three months to get here. It took Magellan a year to go around the Earth. Um, and we do it's the, the space station does it every 45 minutes. And we can go across the ocean if we were in SST in about two hours, you know. So the, the, the idea that um, I've had scientists say, well, the energy required to jump, jump universes. And I said, wait a minute, you don't know that. There may be some some little key to this thing you do not understand. Okay, there's things in physics we didn't know a couple of years ago that we know now. You know, so it, it's goofy in that regard. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of people in the UFO community in the know who seem to think it's these are more interdimensional and uh, and with more stuff that's getting revealed, it's beginning to suggest that. And and one of the other things is since the earliest days, since the 1940s, remember all this stuff, it's been with us since biblical times, these things, but it really got a lot of sightings after we blew three nuclear weapons in 1945. And the story is we did immense damage on the interdimensional level, oh yeah, just a big explosion out there in the desert. We have no, I had no concept of the damage and ramifications in subdimensional space, and we're only now starting to understand this. So, 
I think a lot of these things are co- are coming from me personally. This is Cheryl Costa talking, not so much the the consortium that built the book. Um, we are seeing these things come from. Uh, we've seen got pictures of a large view of UFOs going into volcanoes. We've got these things like that went on off the Omaha from 2019. It was a sphere UFO. They had infrared of it, and it just went into the water. Okay. In fact, out of that one, I had a, a, a reporter call me up and say, hey, are there these sphere UFOs anything? And I said, yeah, they're the number three reported silhouette in the country. There's 17,000 of them in the last 20 years. Yeah, there's something, you know. Uh, but that's what we're up against. We've got a culture that's had two generations to be fed. Oh, there's nothing to this. There's nothing to be seen here, nothing to be learned. Only crooks and crackpots report UFOs. Okay. And right now, um, my argument to some people is that first book we did 2001 to 2017 was my master's degree and the pink book is my PhD. You know, it should be. Um, and and we've had too much academia has been shut off to this thing. They were told, well, there was no funding, so they didn't study it. And they thought the rest of us were crazy. And, and you know, the stovepipes in universities, you know, stovepipes in the subject matter. How are they going to treat this? Because for 70 years, when you talk to like the MUFON organization, who actually goes out and does field, field investigations and things, it's been driven by the hard sciences people, the physics people and the chemistry people. But we have discovered between uh, experiencers and that kind of thing, all the stuff that goes with this stuff, people study it. Um, the soft sciences need to be involved. Where's the anthropology people studying this community people who are, despite all the labels, are still deeply invested in UFOs? Where's the sociology people? Okay, where are these people? I reached out last year. I sent four very sane letters to the New York State Society of Social Workers, and I got nothing but crickets back, okay, saying we've got people who are experiencers who are turned away from therapists when they bring up the fact that they've been touched by off-worlders. They're just turned away. Oh, you're, we can't work with you, you know. Uh, it's outside of the therapist's realm of, of expertise. And when you try to reach out to the universities, it's just as bad, they don't are they, there's no place to fit it in their in their stovepipe of, of subject matters. Well, we've had several speakers recently on this show and we'll have more in the future who, like you, have gathered the evidence from empirical science that consciousness does not rise from the brain or anything physical, but the quite the opposite that physical reality is an appearance of energy that rises out of consciousness, that that awareness is fundamental. And that is such a complete reversal of everything we've learned in physics and believe about the physical universe that it's going to take a while for people to get their heads around that. I have coming up soon a Dr. Eben Alexander, a a brain surgeon, a medical doctor, who had an after-death experience that completely turned him around. And he now, he would not say believe, he, he will say he knows that consciousness is fundamental. And then once we begin to see physical dense as a reflection or a perception Even now, I think the stepping stones in that direction are in the admission that the bulk of 
energy in this universe is dark energy, and the bulk of matter is also invisible, does not reflect light, is non-tangible, but we know it's there because it has gravity. <laughs> and that's the majority of the universe. What, what we can see and touch, the stars and the planets, the rocks, the asteroids, the interstellar gases, this is a periodic table of all that we believe exists. It's just a small fraction of what makes up this universe. Can I interject a, a, a metaphysical point? Indeed. Um, again, this is somebody who was a Wiccan priestess for 20 years. Okay. Um, of, of, I'm for, actually 40 now. I'm retired retired from parish priestessing, but uh, I had been doing it about 20, 25 years. And one day um, I'd been on a little bit of a walkabout and uh, I still have my corporate job, but I, I, I was not running in my friendship circles. And uh, one day I was visiting a Buddhist monastery uh, in the Maryland uh, area outside of D.C. And they had a visiting Lama and there were hundreds of people there. He walked up to me in a crowd of a, about 150 people and said, I know you. That's a big deal with the Tibetan monks. And he had done that to two other people that day. And we were encouraged to go in and have a private appointment with him, and I did. And that led to me being in, uh, being in the monastery for seven years. Now, I still had my corporate job at Lockheed Martin, and I had the buzz cut. I dressed like the Dalai Lama every day, and I worked at corporate headquarters at Lockheed Martin. That pushed the diversity policies to the bleeding edge, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but uh, and there were two of us, and, and we worked in corporate security, and there was only about 150 of us in the company that were corporate security. The cute joke about that was, statistically, the two Buddhist nuns in corporate security were taking over security at Lackey. <laughs> you know, it was funny. But the, the, the point that comes out of this, I made a comment once with my Lama. This is a couple of years ago. For I haven't seen him in a couple of years, only because we just don't seem to be at the same place at the same time. But um, somebody made a comment about, "Oh, I have to pray to God for this, or the, or um, ISIS for this, or you know, Odin for that, you know, whatever." And I looked at him and I said, "You know, the the gods have got their own problems. Um, why are you bothering them?" Stop asking them for stuff. They're not a vending machine. Stop asking the gods for stuff. You are connected to the same energy and the same forces in the universe that they are, the force, so to speak. Do it yourself. You know, Christ said, uh, you rarely hear it if you're confined to church going, but Christ was very clear. These things I do, you can do and more. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, how can people, Cheryl, find out more about the Contact in the Desert event? Contact in the Desert. It's, uh, this year it's going to run from June 25th to June 28th. It's virtual event this year. Uh, there's greatly discounted virtual passes available. And if you go to Contact in the Desert, all one word, Contact in the desert, all spelled out dot com. Um, they've got everything. There's the speakers, the schedules, the sponsors, how to get involved, how to get tickets, it, uh, how to shop their, their chotskis and things. It, they've got everything right there online and they got a big time clock there counting down the days to the conference. All right. Well, we'll see you then. And hopefully in the near future, uh, next spring, perhaps COVID will be a distant memory and we can all rally up in the desert to, North of Palm Springs and Joshua Tree. And if that's the location, they may choose another location, but. Can I, can I pitch my book very quickly? 
Yes, yes. I was going to ask you to do that. The big pink book, the desk reference is called? The UFO Sightings Desk Reference, United States of America, 2001 to 2020. Say it again. Say it again. The title? The UFO Sightings Desk Reference, United States of America, 2001 to 2020. The book is pink. It's got a big white flying saucer on the front. If you go to Amazon and go to books and you put in Cheryl, C-H-E-R-Y-L, then Costa, C-O-S-T-A, you'll get some books up. There'll be the 2007 book, which is white and has the flying saucer, and then there's the pink book. And the pink book is the one you want. It's got the latest and greatest. And it's uh, less than 25 bucks, and it's 374 pages, I think, right? No, no, th- th- that's the old one. The new one's uh, 430 pages. Whoa, so it's a good value. And, it, it really is. Yeah. Nice to have on your desk if you care about UFOs and or maybe you're calling them aerial phenomena. Uh, <laughs> I don't like that term. <laughs> you'll, you'll be able to whip out this book and uh, have all the the statistics and data right at your fingertips thanks to the work of Cheryl and Linda. Uh, Well, listen, I very much appreciate you being with us today, and I hope we can reprise this again in in the future. And uh, best of luck to you. Have a wonderful summer. This has been a delight. Thank you. And thanks for tuning us in today. The Ageless Wisdom Mystery School is heard every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. on KPFK, 90.7 FM in Southern California, Streaming for the world at kpfk.org and podcast on all platforms. Find out more about me at michaelbenner.com. Our podcast website is theagelesswisdom.com. The T-H-E is part of it, theagelesswisdom.com. And you can find out more about me at michaelbenner.com. Thanks for listening. Be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Los Angeles. This is Michael Benner on KPFK.